Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. As you know, we're reading through the Bible throughout the whole year. Last year, we did it as well. But this year, we're doing something different where we're highlighting God's presence as we go through the Bible, God's sightings. And pretty much when it comes to, we know that the theme of the year, the word of the year is dwell, learning to live in the shelter of the most high. So we want to learn how to dwell in God's presence. It's not about just going into God's presence once in a blue moon or anything like that. No, we want to be in God's presence and stay in God's presence and dwell in his presence every second of our lives. And that's the major thing. So today we're going to dive into the book of Psalms. How many of you love the book of Psalms? Without question, it is the most popular book of the Bible. Uh, There's people that don't even go to church at all. And if you pretty much just tell them about Psalm 23, they would know and have told you they've heard about Psalm 23. And if I tell you the Lord is my shepherd, you could finish it for me. All right, ready? We're going to do this. The Lord is my shepherd. It's just, it's very common, Psalm 23 and Psalm 1. So it's a very uh, popular book. But it's not just a popular book. It's the biggest book of the Bible. Could anyone guess how many chapters are in the book of Psalms? A hundred and fifty Psalms. Now, how many, uh, who wrote the book of Psalms? King, King David. He did some, they, 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 they mentioned it pretty much. There's many authors that wrote in the book of Psalms, but King David was really the main one because he did pretty much almost half of it. He wrote 70, 73 chapters, Psalms himself, and there's 12 others that they believe it's him, but they're not 100%. Um, but out of it too, I want you to realize there's 50 Psalms that they don't know who the authors are for, for 50 of them. So even though there's 150, there's many different authors, but without question, you see God's hand through all of them. Something else that's really interesting is that each of them, in the book of Psalms, there's five sections to it. So you could picture like five volumes to it. And in the end of each of the sections, it ends the same. It pretty much says, may the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever. Amen and amen. It would be great if we could all say, ready? May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever, okay? And the count of three, one, two, three. May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever, amen, and an amen. So pretty much five times that's mentioned to close each section of the book of Psalms. 
The purpose of it is going to be behind me here. The book of Psalms was written to help us worship God. How many of us want to worship God? We were created to worship God, so we should all be raising our hands. But right there, the book of Psalms, um, how it says there, was written to help us worship God. The word Psalms literally means songs of praise. So it literally means songs of praise. Now, how the book of Psalms is about worship, we're going to dive. There's no volume there, right? Oh, I'm back. Where'd that come from? Like I disappeared for a couple of seconds and I came back. So um, because the book of Psalms is about worship, today we're going to dive in deeper talking about worship. Now, behind me, I'm going to give you a little definition of worship. Worship is our expression of deep adoration towards who or what we love, obey, and trust. Okay? So worship is our expression of deep adoration towards who or what we love, obey, and trust. Now, something that you have to realize, you decide who you're going to worship. You're going to decide who you're going to worship. Every single person worships something or someone. Every single one of us, we worship. And don't be so quick to say you worship God because the reality is most people worship themselves. Most people worship so many other um, things or objects or or things in their life, and they don't worship God, or they think that they're worship God, worshiping God. And something I've mentioned in the, in the past, too, is that the most spiritual decision you could ever make in your life, like act, your, the most spiritual act that you could ever do in your life is your decision. It's your decision. So many times when we think of doing spiritual things, you would quickly think of praying, reading the Bible, going to church, and so on, and worshiping. But when you think about it, you boil it down, it's your decisions. Your decisions are the most spiritual things you could do because you have to make a decision to want to pray. You have to make a decision to want to read God's word. You have to make a decision to worship. So decision-making is extremely spiritual, and you have to make a decision on who you're going to choose to worship. Now, how I mentioned there, it's an expression of deep adoration towards who or what we love, um, obey, and trust. So many times we love, obey, and trust money. We just think money rules everything. So we love, obey, and trust money. We love, uh, obey, and trust our careers, our pretty much our degrees, our job. It could be a person. It could be our parents. It could be our spouses, it could be our girlfriend or boyfriend. So many times we might love, obey, and trust so many other um, people or things that are like pretty much the only person that deserves that type of adoration and worship is God and God alone. God is not looking for competition for what belongs to him. You can't give God 99% of your heart and 1% to something else or someone else, 100% goes to God, 100% of your heart. And so many times we tend to divide our heart. We give God a certain part 
which we're comfortable in giving God, but we're not give, willing to give God everything he deserves and everything that he needs. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You see, it doesn't say part of your heart. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your minds, and with all of your strength. That's worship. That's worship. And if we have to evaluate our lives, it's like, where are we in this adoration? Do we truly love God with all of our heart? Do we truly love God with all of our soul, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength? Do we? If you have to measure how you're doing spiritually according to what Jesus commands us to do, where are you today? And how would you measure that? Like, how would you measure if you're truly loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How would you measure that? Like, is it how many times you come to church during the year? Is it how many Bible verses you memorize? Is it how many worship songs you know and you sing? Is it like just the amount of time you spend praying at home or in your alone time? Like how would you measure if your heart is truly loving and adoring and worshiping God? What's interesting is that Jesus after he said that command, he says another command, which in some ways, almost at a glance, doesn't seem like it fits, but it fits perfectly. Jesus said this, Mark 12, 31, the very next verse, he said, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So it's interesting how God wants us to love our neighbor, and he puts that side by side with him telling us that we have to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but he tells us we have to love our neighbor. And that word neighbor pretty much means everybody. It's whoever you're around. So some of you are like, oh, I like my neighbor already. I don't have to like anyone else. So it's anybody that you're around. God wants you to love them. The same way that you would love yourself, you got to love them and be there for them and pretty much lay down your life for them, even if you don't know them, even if pretty much like they're a stranger, you have to love them. And the way I see this is God is measuring our love for him the way that we love others. It's easy for us to say, I love God and just keep that to yourself. But God wants you to show, how, show him how much you love him by the way that you love and treat everyone else around you. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 25 verse 40 in the, in the middle of a parable, he said this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So Jesus is pretty much saying, look, whatever you do for other people, you're doing it onto me. So here, this, this really, it, it opens a can of worms, you could say, because you could measure our spiritual maturity and growth by the way that we love other people around us. The way we love people that can't do nothing for you. The way that we love people that pretty much might hate you because God tells us to love our enemies. The way that you love people in your family. The way that you love your husband. The way that you love your wife. The way you love your kids. Even the way you love your suegra. That's important, you know what I mean? Even the way you love your suegra, your aunt, your uncles, your grandparents, even that family member that you cringe every time they show up to family gatherings, it's, it's loving everyone. What about your job, your workplace? Even the way that you love your boss. I, I just heard uh, Pastor Harris say a big Jesus. <laughs> I can't say the way he does it. I can't say it for nothing. But, uh, but he said it for, you know. So, so the way we love our boss, our coworkers, you know, like the way we love strangers, the people that deliver you your Amazon packages, the people that deliver your food to you, your mailman, your mail lady that comes to drop off the mail. Do you just walk past them and just, forget that they're God's creation, God is after their heart, and you might be the only Bible they might ever see. But if we don't love them, they don't see it. So here, I'm here to tell you today that your spiritual maturity and growth on how you love and adore God is measured on how you love other people. Because as you love other people, you're pretty much doing it onto Jesus, regardless of how they treat you or what they do back to you. So if you can't love those that you see, don't tell me that you can love God that you can't see. And God is here pretty much telling us and testing us for us to be real about where we are in our worship. It's not telling God that we love, them, love God and we want to worship him. What good is it for you to come here on Sunday morning, sing four to five songs, tell God that you love him, but throughout the whole week, through your words and actions, letting the world know that you don't love them. You don't love them. And pretty much God doesn't exist because let me tell you, let me tell you. Like, pardon me, I'm starting to say things I wasn't planning to say. So sometimes that could get a little dangerous. So, all right. So let me tell you, I mean, there's some times that, like, I've talked to people. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know that person. You know, you, you know they're a believer, right? They're a Christian, right? And they look at me like if I have, like, 30 heads, like, so-and-so is a Christian? Like, like kind of like, well, and they, they start giving examples how, of how they weren't loved and pretty much, and shown that Jesus through their life and action. 
So I'm going to, a dangerous question to ask yourself. I don't know if you like dangerous things. I, m- most of my life, I don't really like dangerous things. My wife is the more dangerous person. On a whole separate note, she's almost killed me like five or six times. But she likes jumping off, br- like, I- I've repelled off bridges, off mountains, pretty much. Uh, like, I've gone swimming with sharks like 60 feet under the ocean. Do you think it was my idea? No, not at all. My wife, she has these brilliant ideas sometimes. So that wasn't part of what I was going to say either. But a dangerous question to ask yourself, and it's going to be behind you, is how does it feel to be on the other side of me? So that's what you have to ask yourself. How does it feel to be on the other side of me? Like when people around you, do they see God's love? Do they see God's, pretty much God through your words and actions? Or to be on the other side of you, they want to run to the opposite side of the room. They're like, I want to run away from this person because this person, they're negative. They have an attitude. They, 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 don't, they treat me like garbage. Like, you know, the list could go on and on, but... You, you need to ask yourself that question is, how does it feel to be on, their, on the other side of me? And don't be so quick to think that everybody might love you or care about you or think a certain way towards you. Like, maybe I'm going to even challenge you that even those that might be near in your life, asking them that question. Like, how does it feel to be on the other side of me? But ask those that are going to tell you the truth Don't ask those that are just going to sugarcoat it and just tell you exactly what you want to hear. There's going to be a slide behind me. It's going to say this. If people can't see your worship to God through your words and actions in your everyday, it doesn't matter how well you sing on Sunday. See, God is looking for true worshipers. In John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says this, Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must, must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, something I want to highlight there is he's talking about worshipers. He's not talking about people that don't know God. He's talking about people that know God. So this is pretty much he's talking, you could even put it like talking about apply it to the church. And there's three takeaways I want you to keep in mind. Number one, he says that God's looking pretty much for true worshipers, okay, for true, and even before I want to highlight that, number one is the fact that God is looking for worshipers. God is looking for worshipers, and I really believe that when a heart surrenders to God, God, like, you know, like, it's almost like a radar, be like, yo, Elizabeth, New Jersey, right there, you know, like, there are true worshipers there, So God is looking for worshipers, number one. Number two, he says true worshipers. So if there's true worshipers, that means they're 
also false worshipers. So churches and the church as a whole, I'm not talking about Christ fellowship, I'm saying churches as a whole, there are true worshipers and false worshipers that are in, you could say, God's kingdom. And each of, each of us, we want to be a true worshipers. And he says his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. Something that I love to do, uh, I, I love to look at the opposite of things. I, I remember as a kid, we used to play little cheesy games. We used to play like, um, like pretty much whatever someone says, we used to say like the opposite like to it. Whatever they say, we would just keep saying the opposite until we annoy them a lot. So <laughs> it wasn't the most Christ-like thing to do. But like I have to say, as a kid, you know, we, we had a lot of fun doing it. But we would do the opposite of it. So this is something that looking at the opposite of, of, of things, we could dig a little deeper. So in the scripture, we saw that we have to worship God in the spirit. We're going to focus on that first. If we're not worshiping God in the spirit, that means we're worshiping God in the flesh. So here pretty much is being highlighted that there's believers, some that worship God in the spirit and some that worship God in the flesh. And we're going to do a little evaluation in this. And let me tell you, It doesn't matter if you've known God for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, or it doesn't matter if you've known God for today's your first day of really knowing God or understanding God. Every single one of us, we could be in danger of worshiping and adoring God in the flesh versus not being in the spirit with him. So I want to just highlight for you, get an idea. When you worship God in the flesh, it's led by what you want and like, okay? So I'll give you an example. You come into church, and instead of worshiping God first, you, you start saying, oh, I don't like that song. Or, oh, oh, that's my favorite song. Oh, like whatever it is, you, all of a sudden you're mo- more focused on pretty much what's happening. To you is not an opportunity to worship God, but it's more of a performance or a concert or something that's happening that you get to sit down and be entertained by. So, and and if you don't like it a certain way or you might like it, like you need to realize that you're not worshiping God in the spirit, but that's in the flesh. Or I'll give you another example. You might come here and you're like, you know what? The seats aren't that comfortable or it's too hot or it's too cold. It's like, I'm distracted. I'm not able to, to really focus on worshiping God. It's like all of a sudden you get caught up in the flesh. Or, or if your phone, you get a little notification. You get a little notification. You're in the middle of worshiping the king of kings. And your phone goes, beep. I don't know what, maybe your phone doesn't do beep. Uh, I don't even know. That might be an old flip phone from 19... 19- 87 or something. I don't even know that they had phones back. Well, all right, let me stop. So it did beep or something, okay? A little beep sound. And all of a sudden, you go and you, for you, you want to see what's happening. You're worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
the master of the universe, the pretty much supreme being over everything, and you're curious to see what the notification is on your phone, the text message, the Facebook, the Instagram, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Nothing should come before what God, God is to us. Another thing is also our sins. When we come before God, like you're coming before God, surrendering everything to him. You're, you're pretty much dealing with the things that you might have within you that you know that doesn't belong and you're surrendering it to God. So a lot of times when we're in the flesh, we don't care about stepping into God's presence with pretty much all the stuff that we've brought before him, but not to surrender, but our lifestyle that you know should pretty much, you you need to ask forgiveness for before you even spend time worshiping God. You got to come to God and uh, get things straight. And lastly, location. So many times we might worship God a different way depending on where we are. If it's like all of a sudden a maverick city uh, like, you know, like the, there's these big um, bands and worship groups. All of a sudden, there's these big um, concerts and stuff, and you worship God differently in those locations versus in other locations. There's an issue because to you, or it could be like, it's your flesh. You like it when it's in a certain place, a certain way, and, and that's what pleases you. So that's in the flesh. Now I'm going to give you an example with, the, uh, with being in the Spirit. In the Spirit, it doesn't matter if it's a song you like or you don't like. You're worshiping God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, with your entire being, because the song is there just to help you along. But the reality is, even if the projector was shut off, even if all the instruments, the electricity would go off, even if all the voices would stop, your voice shouldn't stop. Your worship shouldn't stop. Like you're there to pour out your heart and worship God with every ounce of your being, regardless of what's happening. And it's not about comfort because whether it's hot, cold, uncomfortable, whatever might be happening, you're there to worship God through the heat, through the cold, through the snow, whatever it is. You want to worship God because you know he deserves all the praise. It doesn't matter who's by you. It doesn't matter if it's your family, friend, or whatever it is. You're there to worship God. You're not there to get distracted by anything else. Because let me tell you, silence your phones. Put your phones away. You're there to worship God. And let me tell you, when you worship God, it's an act of trust as well. Like in a sense, like all the other things that you would normally probably be concerned about, you know, it's like, hey, daddy knows what's happening in my life. Daddy will take care of all the little details around. So you're worshiping God with everything. Also, like how I said, with if there's things in your life that doesn't belong, you come before him and you get that straight with him even before you start worshiping him. And forget about location, It doesn't matter if you're here. It doesn't matter if you're in front of City Hall or it doesn't matter whatever location you are. You will worship God with everything that you have when you're in the spirit. Let me tell you something. Even myself, some of the most powerful worship times I've ever had in my life is alone in my car worshiping God. 
to the point I had to pull over just to be able not to get into a little accident because literally it's like I just had to just worship God and just silence the noise everywhere. And it was just in my car. I'm surprised a neighbor didn't call the cops on me, like, you know, like from the ring camera, because all of a sudden they'll just see one person sitting in their car go like this. Like, yo, who's that weirdo over there in the car? Like he keeps pointing towards my house. So, um, so literally when you worship in the spirit, you realize that everything else doesn't matter. You just want to worship God. So we need to worship God in the spirit, not in the flesh but also in truth, in truth, it says. And what's the opposite of truth? Lies. So, so many times there's Christians that might worship God in the flesh, not in the spirit, and they're not worshiping God in truth, but they're worshiping God in lies. The truth is, how I mentioned before, God deserves 150% of everything of your life to him. But the world makes you believe that it's okay for you to compromise. It's okay for you to water down your walk with God. It's okay for you, just because the world says something is right, doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that you, you, you automatically go along with it. Whatever God says is right is what's right. And what God says is wrong is what's wrong. I don't care if 99% of the world says that something is right. When God says it's wrong, the world is wrong. So don't, don't get caught up with what the lies are pretty much that the world is doing in, in pretty much in life in general, because God wants all of us, not a fraction of us. In Romans 1.25, it says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So right here, it says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. So, so many of us, we create idols that we bow down to on a daily basis. We've all done it, myself too. In our life, we've all bowed down to idols. Now, when I say idols, it's not physical idols that you might have in your house. Um, It's pretty much things that you put before God. Anything that you put before God becomes an idol. If I put Jen before God, Jen becomes my idol. If I put any other family member before God, that becomes my idol. If I put my job before God, that's my idol. My career before God, that becomes an idol. If I put what the applause from people, that becomes an idol if I put it before God. If I put money before God, that becomes an idol. If I put what I want to do before God, I become an idol to myself. I want to pretty much bow down and obey my heart's desire rather than God's heart's desire. In Matthew 15, 8, it says this. Jesus said, pretty much talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
So think about it. Just because you say Jesus is Lord doesn't mean your heart is close to God. Just because you, you worship God like with your words doesn't mean your heart is close to God. You could have a cold heart, a distant heart from God and still know the lingo, still know the right things to say and pretty much the wrong things to say. And it might seem you pretty much become an outer shell of what a Christian would look like, but you're denying the power of God that wants to transform you from the inside out. From the outside, it might look like you're the real thing, but when you dig deeper into your heart, you realize that in so many ways, and we've all been there, including myself, we might be faking the funk and going through the motions and not truly having a whole heart surrendered to God. God wants true worshipers. He doesn't want false ones. Here, how I mentioned before, it says, it says uh, I gave you the definition of worship. Worship is our expression of deep adoration towards who or what we love, obey, and trust. And how I tell you today, today we're diving into the book of Psalms. And something that we see here is God's presence. And, and how I mentioned before in the beginning is that the book of Psalms is there to teach us how to worship, teach us how to adore God in worship. And worship is so much more than a song. Worship is your life. It's your life. It's your words and actions. And remember how Jesus said right afterwards how you love other people. Do other people truly see your worship to God through your words and actions? Because that's the measure Jesus used right after he mentioned the greatest command there. And then here, what we're going to do now, I want to dive into a couple of verses from the book of Psalms. And we're just going to go back to back with these verses because I want you to see the deep passion and thirst that the author is trying to write and express of what they feel towards God. We need to be thirsty for God's presence above everything else in our entire life. To the point, I, like, we need God's presence more than our next breath. We need the Holy Spirit to be in our life more than anything else in our entire life. We can't go one day, one moment without thinking about God or wanting him in our life. If I go through my day and I don't even have communion with God or talk to him or surrender to him or talk to the Holy Spirit and worship him through my words and actions, and if I think I could go through the day without doing that, there's something wrong with my life. It's a red flag. It's a red flag if I think I could go through life with, without God's presence, if I could go through life without God's guidance, if I could go through life without God's strength, if I could go through life without God's intervention, if I could go through life without God doing his thing, there's something wrong. 
In Psalms, uh, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, it says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In Psalm 63, verses 1 to 3, it says this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry, parched land where where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, life, my lips will glorify you. In Psalm 84, verses 1 through 2, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns. And that word yearns, it's much more than desires. It's much more than wants. That word yearns means like there's nothing else you want more than God. My, it says there, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 84, verse 10 and 12, it says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I just want to pause there for a second. Because here, it's such a powerful statement. He's saying it's better to spend one day in your courts, in your outer courts. I don't even have to be in the inner court. I could be in the outer court. One day in your courts is better than spending a thousand anywhere else. Better than a thousand chasing after money. Better than a thousand chasing after relationships. Better than a thousand chasing after degrees or careers or anything else that the world world might dangle in front of me. He pretty much says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and dwell in the t- then dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In Psalm 23, 6, and the last verse I'm reading, we started with the book of Psalm 23, verse 1, and we're ending it here. It says, Surely... Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Those words, follow me, mean chase after me. So he's saying, surely your goodness and love will chase after me all the days of my life. Your goodness and love is chasing after me. Then he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This doesn't mean so many times this is used like at funerals thinking like, you know, like afterwards he's going to dwell in God's house. No, no, no. He's saying he's dwelling God's house today. He dwelt in God's house yesterday, today, and forever. As we close, we sang a song earlier about the Holy Spirit. You're welcome in this place. Telling the Holy Spirit that he's welcome in this place and we want him to fill us, fill our hearts and lives. I know that if in my house, if I invite a guest, if I invite someone to come over to my house, I have to prepare the house. I have to make sure the house is ready. And you all know what I'm talking about. You got to vacuum. You got to prepare the house. You're not going to pretend everything, leave everything as is. You get the house ready for the person you're welcoming. And the Holy Spirit, when you're asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life, into your heart, you have to realize that he wants your whole life. He wants you to love him completely, obey him completely, and trust him completely. When you love him completely, you are loving him above everything else, and you're expressing that to him. So if there's something in your heart that you've been battling with, or that you love, you've been loving and has been taking the space that belongs to God, you need to prepare your heart and surrender that and take that out of your heart and life so you can make room for the Holy Spirit to fill your life and heart. Obey him. If there's anything else that you've been bowing down to obeying rather than God, you need to clean that up in your heart. Ask God for forgiveness. Make room so that the Holy Spirit could come and fill your heart there and trust. If you trust anything above God, anything else, literally you have to remove that out of your heart and express your trust to God, giving him everything. So if everyone could stand to their feet at this time, And if you know that you want nothing more than God's presence in your life, if you want to be a true worshiper and you know that you want to lay everything down to him, I just want and encourage you to do so even now. And the altar is open as well. You could come forward and pour your heart out to God. Because there's nothing more than you need than more of God every single day of your life. Like a sponge, you want to be saturated in God's presence, wanting God to fill every single space within your life, within your heart, mind, and being. So the altar's open, you could come. Holy Spirit, We surrender everything to you. We give you our heart, mind, and soul. 
We give you permission to knock down everything that has to be knocked down, to destroy anything that has to be destroyed, anything that has to be deconstructed, deconstructed, God. God, we just ask you, God, to have your way. This is your home, our life, God. You move around the furniture of our life the way you want it, God. This is your home, and we surrender everything. We want more of your presence. We want you to flood our lives with your presence, God. God, forgive us, God, for chasing after so many other things except your presence, God. It's better to be in your presence for one day than a thousand elsewhere, God. It's better to be in your presence than anything else the world could offer to us. God, transform us, God. Make us more like you, God. Help us love and worship you, God, with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and be true worshipers, God. But also help us love one another, God. Help us love our family. Help us love our spouses. Help us love our children. Help us love our parents. Help us love our enemies. Help us love the strangers. Help us love our coworkers. Help us love everyone that's around us, God. Because as we love them, God, we're loving you, God. And worship is words and actions so much more than just a song. In Jesus' name, we give you everything. And everyone said, amen and amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.